What's up, Hollywood? It's time we do a little something different today. Hit it. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm DL McDonald, and this is the A Plus Podcast. This week's episode is something I like to call A-plus talent. In these episodes, I'll speak to a Canadian of great talent, be that in the field of acting, singing, or whatever. It's our chance to get to know more about talented performers. That's why today I'm bringing you a man who you have definitely seen and may never have realized he was a Canuck. From starting out as a child actor in commercials, he's made his name being a sought-after character actor and has since graduated to directing. Here he is, Zach Ward. How are you, Zach? I'm good. How are you, brother? Doing well, man. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. So, um, obviously, as Canadians who watch TV shows, one of their favorite things to do is say, that guy's Canadian. Right? You enjoy pointing out Canadians, so I wanted to shine a spotlight on a Canadian I knew, and that's you. Awesome. All right. So, where did you grow up, Zach? Uh, I grew up in Toronto, Canada. Um, we traveled a lot. My mother's an actress. So I went to eight different schools uh, before junior high. And um, so it was Toronto. It was the Yukon. It was Stratford, Ontario. It was Long Island, New York. Um, it was all over. But most of it was spent in Canada. Well, I'm sure a lot of Canadian kids will recognize the voice of Noble Hart, the horse. From Care Bears, too? It would take more love and caring than even we have all put together. No! Everyone hold hands. And together, open your hearts and your ears and listen real hard for the voice of those who care. Yeah, my mom. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty impressed with her. She just released an album. Like, Yeah. Yeah, oh. she's 84 years old. That's insane. Yeah, it's pretty cool. She's, she's kicking ass. <laughs> uh, so she was obviously your first taste of acting. That's how you grabbed the bug? Yeah. I mean, so I grew up around it, surrounded by it, um, backstage, on sets, and it became a world that I was familiar with, the, the actual process and the people and the environment. It wasn't, uh, I mean... It wasn't due to the red carpet and all the press and the coverage and the, the fame of it that I was interested in the process. I was exposed more to um, the crew members and the actors and the people who were building the props and the set pieces and the wardrobe and all the cool fun stuff, playing with swords at the uh, backstage at Bradford uh, Shakespearean Festival. So it... I think the difference for me when I grew up was that I was part of the process or I was witness to the process as opposed to most people's experience is uh, watching the celebrities be famous and uh, being sold on that aspect of it. Um, So for me, I got to see how they made the sausage before I wanted to become a butcher. (laughs) That makes sense. Great analogy. And what do you remember from your first time on set? Uh, my first time on set, 
as an actor, I think was Dolly Madison ice cream commercial. And then there was a Jell-O commercial. And then there was a Campbell soup commercial. Um, so I, I first did like three or four commercials. And, and again, for me, I think what was the benefit that I had is that, you know, if you, if, if you're a child actor and your parents work in accounting or plumbing or something else, uh, when you walk on a set, you really have no idea how it works. Mm-hmm. But since I had been on set since I was five years old, it was uh, an environment that I already knew the protocols. So how to talk to people, when to shut up, where to stay, where to stand. Uh, I understood what blocking was at a very early age. And so the process of it was not something that confused me. Um, so it, it was interesting because for when I, was, when I started working, it wasn't something that um, I was excited, absolutely, but I was not intimidated because it was something that already made sense to me. So it, it felt like a natural progression, if that makes sense. Definitely. Did you have any influences, Canadian or otherwise? Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers was somebody I worshipped as a kid. Uh, just the ability that he had to turn himself into whatever character he was playing. And I think that's also the big difference. Uh, I've always sort of seen myself as a character actor in the sense that the character comes before my personality, if that makes sense. Um, and I always wanted to be those people like Peter Sellers that could play any role. And you forgot who Peter Sellers was when you're watching being there or the pink Panther or the, the party, he became that character. And to me, that was the most exciting thing. He pulled himself across the floor. He did. How else could he avoid the radar field? Yes, how else? Hmm. Of course, he would need a very slippery floor to do that. Therefore, the wax. The wax? Ah! Are you, uh, all right? Of course I am all right. I'm examining the wax. Um, I think that's maybe the difference between uh, growing up loving the process as opposed to growing up being in love with the fame because when you're in love with the fame then you really just want people to approve of you and what i've noticed well nowadays it seems like a lot more of the acting is just an extent extension of who that person naturally is so if they're good looking guy they're good looking guy in a fight or a good looking guy in a romance they're n- but they're always sort of the same person nowadays um, yeah, so for me, Peter Sellers was a big influence and, and someone I wanted to emulate and uh, try to achieve what he had accomplished. The Christmas Story was your first feature film? Yep. Did, when you auditioned, was it just for like child actors or were you going out for Scud? I auditioned for Scott Farkas. Uh, originally, Scott Farkas was the sidekick. He was not the lead bully. So when I auditioned for... Christmas story, it was what we call uh, a cattle call, meaning that there were hundreds of kids there and you walked in and you stood there in front of the uh, digital, the camera back then VHS was a brand new thing. So you uh, said your five lines like, nah, get over here. But I tell you to come kid, you better come. Nah, your aunt Tilly. And they go, thank you. And you walk away. 
And so it went from like 300 down to 150, down to 50, down to 10. And then I got the job. And then uh, I had never met the director during those auditions because they were, were all on tape, VHS tape for those of you who are watching who don't know what that is. And uh, so when I walked on set, it was my first time meeting the director in person. And then he, I was side by side with Yano Anaya, who played Grover Dill. And this is Yano Anaya, this is me. So I was about eight inches taller than him. And when he saw the difference in height, he said, okay, you get his lines, he gets yours. So Scott Farkas went from being the sidekick to being the bully. Listen, jerk, when I tell you to come, you better come. What, are you going to cry now? Come on, cry, baby, cry for me. Come on, cry. <laughs> Deep in the recesses of my brain, a tiny red-hot little flame began to grow. <laughs> fuse blew, and I had gone out of my skull. Do you remember being Moody Spurgeon? I hope so. Moody, yeah, Moody Spurgeon on Anna Green Gables. That was uh, when I was like 14 years old was the first time I shot it. And then I did small pieces in all the follow-ups over, gosh, it was like the next 10 years. I just come back and have like one line and then continue on. I know that, Josie. Woody, Josie, how lovely. Yeah. Isn't it sad how few people our age have stayed in Avonlea? Yes, everybody's left. Look at here. Comedy here has become such a big booming city now. But it's good to see you staying. But it was fun. Uh, apparently a huge fan base out in Japan. Apparently yeah. the Japanese love Anna Green Gables. I was shocked to hear that too. They've got an anime version of it. Uh, do you remember working with Megan? Yeah. Um, she was a lovely person, very nice, very professional. Um, I mean, she had the whole series, uh, the whole movie of Anna Green Gables on her shoulders, and she carried it with aplomb. A uh, very kind person. I've met her again since here in Los Angeles, and she's always been very nice and very focused and always had a level head and a pleasure to be around. Definitely, yeah. I've worked with her on Rain, and I had a seen her just blow through like the pages of dialogue. Mm -hmm. She was a master. Yeah, she's a consummate professional at her job, and a really nice person. Oh, she's lovely. Yeah. Uh, you had a starring role in a TV movie called Taking Care of Terrific. Oh yeah, yeah, that was horrible. <laughs> If you ever get a chance to watch it, please do. It's it's just yeah, just just groan inducing, literally. But hey, you know, I uh, you know, as an actor, you're grateful for every opportunity you get. Um, you know, my my attitude towards acting, especially as a as a younger kid, was uh, you get an opportunity to do something you love and, and get paid for it. And there's a whole bunch of people besides yourself who make that, make that project come to fruition and they carry a far 
uh, heavier burden than the actor does, in all honesty. And so when people took a risk on me as a younger as a younger actor to give me an opportunity to try, um, always very grateful. And you know, movies or TV shows are very um, reflective of the time period that they're made in and the values and the standards and the styles that are deemed uh, what, I don't know, what's, what's apropos for the time. Um, and sometimes it doesn't age that well. Uh, so I think Taking Care of Terrific was a great opportunity. Um, and it's uh, if you get a chance to watch it, please do. And then tweet me about your thoughts. <laughs> I haven't seen it in ages. Uh, yeah, it's very entertaining. I'm sure the lessons were invaluable at such a young age, too. Yeah, the more you can work, the better it is. The more you learn about your craft and the opportunities to express yourself and where you need to get better. I then stumbled upon Boogie's Diner, where you played Kurt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was uh, an awesomely uh, great experience in so many ways. And uh, Jim J. Bullock, and actually my mom played the played the owner of the store who you only met through um she did voiceover on that where she i think she appeared in one episode but she would call jim j bullock and yell at him and you know it was like saved by the bell but um even goofier kirk what are they doing now Shh. it's a stare down contest they're in their second hour what are you the coach there's no coach in stare down i'm the manager here you go jace on the house to the victor go the spuds uh, it was funny because it was a canadian production so in canada uh the tv stations have a legal responsibility to air canadian content yes and boogie's diner was designed to be a saturday morning afternoon syndicated show so that it would basically it's for like the same audience as saved by the bell um but because of the Canadian content requirement for CTV or I think it was CTV in Toronto, um, they played it on Thursday nights between Friends and Seinfeld. Wow. Like, yeah, which is pretty much the hottest time slot you can get in, in, in the country at that time. And the quality of our show did not compare with either of those. Um, it wasn't really designed to, but what I found very funny is I would, I would see friends of mine and they would say, Hey, I, uh, I saw your show, Boogie's Diner the other night, right after friends, like before Seinfeld I'd go, Oh, you, uh, you watched the show. Did you <laughs> go? Yeah. I go, uh, so what do you think? You're like, it's, it's really great that you're working. It's really it's good that you have a job. That's a very nice way of saying the show sucks, um, but I'm glad that you're getting paid for doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a lead-in and a, a yeah behind you to have following you. I wonder how badly that hurt Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, but speaking of friends, you uh, were in Ed with Matt LeBlanc. Uh, yeah, we shot up in um, uh, where's it? It's out by Magic Mountain. Um, we shot up at, out at this uh, ranch that they built a stadium for. And uh, I had no experience playing baseball whatsoever. 
And I ended up playing Dusty, the uh, shortstop, I think it was, and uh, playing baseball. Um, Jack Warden was in it. Bill Cobb was in it. Uh, and amazingly, I just worked with Bill Cobb again last year in a Steven Seagal film called Beyond the Law. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a great fun experience. And that was when you know, I knew nothing about friends, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, nothing about friends at that point. So when I did Boogie's Diner, I think it was Cheers and Seinfeld. It was something that was huge. Maybe it wasn't Friends because I hadn't really paid attention to the series. And when I did, when I did Ed with Matt LeBlanc, I at one point asked him, I said, like, oh, it's congratulations on the starring role. He's like, thanks. I'm like, uh, so would I know you from anything? And he's like, yeah, I do this series called Friends. I'm like, oh, I haven't, I haven't heard of it. How's it going? He's like, good, very good. So it must have been a different timeline. Well, did he know? <laughs> yeah, right? No kidding. Nobody comes even If people don't know, Ed was about a baseball playing monkey. Yeah, a chimpanzee that plays third base. It was originally called Mickey Mantle's Monkey. And then it became Ed with a guy in a uh, a guy in a suit. It did look like, yeah, almost like Alf, when you see Alf running around. (laughs) Yeah. Well, apparently I had asked them why they didn't use a real chimpanzee, and they said, because they'll kill you. Like, that's a good reason. I don't want to die. You also worked with uh, fellow Canadians, Devin Sawa and uh, Scott Barristow. Yeah. And some other kid. (laughs) Jonathan Taylor Thomas, yeah. JTT, back when he was... Huge. The star would have been big then. Lion King already. Titanic. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Shot it in North Carolina. Uh, was down there for about two months. Um, met Francis Fisher on that job. Uh, still a good friend. Uh, Devin just did a movie with a friend of mine, uh, James Cullen Bresick and Glenn Danzig. Uh, so yeah, Devin's apparently doing great. Uh, very tall, uh, sweet guy. I haven't seen him in a decade, at least, but he was a lovely guy. Yeah, well, no wonder you want, Stauffer. My truck of ways is stripped down great by an easy 500 pounds. You know what? You're one sorry loser. Well, it's fair, huh? <laughs> this behind your car that'll be fair but zero on it don't ever tell me what to do with my little brother dc marshall get in the hood Woo! <laughs> let's chat chat and i know uh you spoke about steven seagal and i know mm-hmm. a few stories about steven seagal because i'm in the stunt industry right but you got to fight chuck norris yeah, well, I didn't really fight Chuck Norris. I snuck up on him from behind and whacked him in the head with a, a fake tree branch, which knocked him unconscious. And uh, that was on Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, uh, Mad Dog Sullivan. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the, the apparently the crew was very angry about that because I was the, uh, I don't know if it ever happened afterwards, but uh, up till that point, I was the first and only person to ever knock Chuck out, which uh, they took it took to heart. I took very personally 
uh, even though I was explaining, it's in the script. I didn't write the script. This is this is what I was paid to do. Um, they seem to take umbrage with that and kind of dislike me after I knock Chuck out, which, what are you going to do? You guys got a problem with me? Yeah. Yeah, we got a problem with you. Cop, you guys have a beef with me. Let's settle it right we now. Let me get back to work. What if I kick your butt? How's it gonna happen? That's right, Mr. Sullivan. You want to be first? Oh yeah! Wow, they were a very loyal crew to Chuck. Yeah, well, his son was one of the directors, right? Yeah, yeah, his sons his sons were running that job. Yeah. In '98, you went through Nash Bridges, Jag, and you also did your second appearance on NYPD Blue. Those were all big shows at that time. Yeah, um, I was guest starring pretty regularly all the time. Um, and uh, I got I got very fortunate, and I got to book a lot of work, hand over fist, which was awesome. Yeah, and uh, getting to do NYPD Blue twice as two different characters, so that was pretty cool. Doesn't happen very often. Almost Famous, obviously, it was a big movie. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to do. Uh, long red haired wig and beard and mustache, and then I got to hang out with the real Red Dog and the Almond Brothers band. Um, and then Cameron Crowe, lovely guy, very kind. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, very nice cast and crew. Um, you have a great opportunity to be part of something that's so iconic. That's the Almond Brothers Band's number one roadie. How are the guys? Having a ball, man. Having a ball. Yeah, you know, we have a party. We have an Almond Brothers Band party, man. <laughs> everybody's bugging, everybody's getting off. Like family, man. Yeah. And now, if people don't know you from a Christmas story, they definitely would know you from Titus. Yeah. I mean, that's how I knew you. Titus is a huge favorite of mine. Nice. Thank you. Um, it touched on so many important subjects too, apart from it being super funny sometimes, like Titus under the car and you guys are trying to tell him, take, put the fin on the car to, uh, Tommy was worried that he was gay. Oh, that's my favorite episode. My, yeah. Same. Yeah. Just had so much, uh, but it was so dark and it was so funny and it was addressing something that was so taboo. Uh, with an audience that wasn't expecting that type of conversation. So, yeah, we got an opportunity to do some really interesting things on that show uh, at a time where there weren't a lot of shows that had that chance to, you know, really walk that razor's edge of, of content. Uh, so it was, it's always been something I've been very proud of being, uh, being a part of. Tommy's gay episode, what, the best bit was like when you kissed him. Like, did you feel anything? He's like, no. Like, and you're not gay. <laughs> yeah, there's two other things I can try. Yeah. <laughs> God, what am I going to do? Tommy, it's going to happen to me. Look, see, I'm going gay. Oh, please, someone help me. Will you help me, please? Stop, I'll settle this. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God. 
and you're not gay! You have got to stop smoking pot. If Tommy isn't turned on by me, he's not gay. I'm not gay. Hey! Now, if you're not sure, there are two other things I can try. No, 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 no! So Tommy's not gay was one of it was with the top my top favorite episode, and there were so many that were so good that just really made people laugh and made people think and was very inclusive. You know? Did you have a, a standout moment apart from that episode? Oh, there were so many, man. I mean, it was three years and fifty six episodes, and each one was usually more aggressive than the last. Um, there were so many, you know, the, the show did and said things that I don't know if you could do that now. Um, but yeah, it's, it was so, it was so funny. And you know, you pick up a script on, you get the script for the next episode and you find out that you're actually going to be on the side of a mountain snowboarding mm-hmm. and you're going to build it on the stage uh, and you have to learn how to snowboard. harder to save you when you throw me both ends of the rope. <laughs> and Dave's gonna save you. What? Why Dave? He's practically a chimp. You're sitting right there. But if I save you now, Dave stays a chimp, right? In a bicycle, wearing diapers, pulling gnats out of his girlfriend's hair. I don't have a girlfriend. Oh, gee, is that what you want? Yes, at least I still be alive. Oh, you're gonna be alive when Dave figures out how to save you. Right, Dave? No, Titus, he's dead. Oh. <laughs> And then you're doing another one where you're jumping off of uh, a bridge yeah. to do uh, parachuting. You know, when you jump off a bridge and you parachute. Yeah. There you go. There's a word I'm looking for. And you're doing that. And you get caught up underneath the bridge and you're hanging upside down. It's like, you know, I want to be cremated. And as you all know from my Christmas letter, I don't want to be kept on life support. <laughs> I do. I want to be a vegetable. <laughs> want to be. <laughs> what? Nothing. Yeah, yeah, you know, because people wait on you, and when people talk to you, you don't have to answer them back. Oh, and you get to eat to your arm. Christopher, if you jump off this bridge and something goes wrong, you would be lucky to be Dave. Oh, I am not going to be a vegetable. <laughs> and, and besides, I won't survive it anyways. But I will survive. And I would be without you. Oh, I know it's your duty as my girlfriend to say stuff like that. But you know it's my duty as me you know, to jump anyway. No, no, no. We have so much to lose. We're not going to lose anything. Oh. Look, all right? I'm not that great. You'll get over me. I mean, I don't listen to you. I don't plan on listening to you anytime soon. And, oh, my God, do I say stuff like that. <laughs> and he has anger problems. Yeah. Eventually, you and I are going to hook up anyway. <laughs> uh, Christopher, you may not, you shall not, you will not jump off this bridge. Oh, dude. <laughs> uh, Aaron, when we're dating, you will not get away with that. <laughs> All these things you, you never knew what to expect in the script. I mean, unlike Friends, where they're very funny, um, they don't usually jump off of things or explode or 
uh, get thrown through windows or beat up or all the different wacky stuff that we did. So it was constantly a surprise to see what was going to be in the pages for the next week. Uh, after that, let's see what else happens. Oh, Ronnie, you puts you in a, a bathtub. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Freddy versus Jason. And I get to, I get to be Freddy Krueger, which is awesome. And then hours of prosthetic makeup on my arms for all the blood to spray out and sitting in a bathtub full of blood, um, that stains me hot pink for about a week and a half. Oh, no. Yeah, that was fun. Worth it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Get to be part of one of the most iconic horror franchises in history. So that's, that's a huge gift. Hey, Mark. You didn't forget about me, did you? Oh, that's right. Everyone forgot. That's why they weren't afraid anymore. That's why I needed Jason to kill for me to get them to remember. But now he just won't stop. And was that you doing the voice too? Uh, I did it, and then because um, Robert England was was there, and he was teaching me how to do the Freddy walk and how to work with uh, as if the hand is super heavy, and um, I did do it uh, originally, but I, I believe that they dubbed me over with his voice, which makes more sense because if you can like, oh, that's right, they all forgot. That sounds okay. But it's not it's not Robert England, you know, and and especially if you're going to speak in little sound bites, it's it's hard to track the exact syntax and and sound design of an iconic character like Robert England. So, it you know, me doing it to imitate Robert worked for the timing of the mouth. That's right. They all forgot. Um, But then him overlapping it. Is, is better for the scene. Yes. Uh, 2005, you did two, uh, again, two big shows that were out, Lost and Deadwood. Were you fans of these before you? I'd never seen Lost um, before I shot it. And I was supposed to do seven more uh, of Lost, but every time JJ, and, uh, yeah, it was, JJ was calling me, um, I'd be shooting something else. Because the way that he wrote is he would be constantly uh, making adjustments to the script. And then at the last minute, like, oh, I want to put this character in. And then my agent would come. I would get a call and I'd be on another set shooting. So I couldn't leave production. Um, but that was fun. I was literally in Hawaii for 40, 72 hours. Uh, pretty fast turnaround. And then what was the other one you said? Uh, Deadwood. Deadwood, yeah. Deadwood was um, uh, David Milch, and he's the same one who had cast me twice in NYPD Blue. And so that was just a straight offer and a straight call, which was great. And then uh, reading the script, I don't know if you've seen the episode, I'm the Irish kitchen boy who talks about how he gets drunk and occasionally shits himself and leaves his extra pair of pants down by the creek so that when he gets drunk and craps his pants again, he'll have an extra pair of trousers that he can fit into. Uh, <laughs> Late as usual. Oh, I just comes from the creek, Mr. Farnham. Wore some of my pants? A habit to cultivate. In under a rock down there, I found other pants of mine that I thought I'd lost. That seeing as I get drunk and you know, on occasion shits myself. 
I figured that must be how I lost him in the first place. I imagine you making your way from the creek, rolling into the lobby when all others are abed, bare-ass naked with shit streaming down the backs of your legs. Sir, no. It must have been the night that Mr. Hickok was killed. Now I recall that Mr. Hickok, he gives unto me a letter for me to put in the post, but what with all the hullabaloo and, and me getting drunk, I forgot about the whole thing until I found my pants. Yeah, so it was like this monologue of me talking about how I crap my pants when I get drunk, which was awesome. Uh, and I, I, based upon the timing, uh, the, the period placement of Deadwood being in the 1810s or something, um, it didn't really make sense for me as a redhead to have no sort of backstory because everybody in America at that time was from somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I mean, let's be honest, red hair is usually associated with Irish people. So let's make the character Irish because originally he was just kitchen boy. And um, so I practiced an Irish accent. And then when we were doing rehearsal, I just kind of did this scene with an Irish accent. And Mr. Milch was like, great, Zach, just tone it down a little bit so I can understand what you're saying and let's shoot it. And I was terrified because I didn't ask anybody's permission. I just started studying how to do an Irish accent. And I thought that once I did it in rehearsal, they would turn on me and be like, what are you doing? You're fired. You're an idiot. But they liked it. So then they changed it from kitchen lad to Irish kitchen lad. So You've worked with uh, Michael Bay on Transformers mm -hmm. and then UA Bowl, Postal, yep. Blood Rain 2. Yeah. Yeah. Those uh, those two directors, they get uh, they've got their haters. But how yeah. was your time with them? Um, Michael Bay is a very technically intense individual. He knows exactly what he wants. Um, he's literally running a hundred and fifty million dollar ship on Transformers. So he, uh, I wouldn't call him a patient man. You know, Cameron Crowe is a very patient man. Uh, Michael Bay is not, um, but he, Michael Bay knows exactly what he wants. Uh, Uwe Boll is a very nice man. Um, and I think Uwe Boll is, uh, when I worked with him, he was a very good producer and he was constantly working at his craft as a director and has gotten better and better since. I find myself in a, in a financial situation. I, mean, I have a plan for getting out of it, but I could use a partner. Uh, no, 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 I know where this is going, Uncle Dave. I, I don't do that type of shit anymore. Come on, it'd be like old times. Remember when we stole a flag from the governor's mansion? Twice. Yeah, and this plan is foolproof, man. I got arrested the second time. Well, that plan wasn't foolproof. Yeah, they prosecuted me under the new flag protection amendment, and with that on my record, I couldn't get into a good college or get a good job. Or... I pretty much just played by the rules. Look, man, nobody plays by the rules, all right? You bend them or you break them. Anything else is just slow death. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Um, but yeah, all great experiences. And just, you know, you get to work on a $150 million movie. That's, that's rare air. Yeah, I was really shocked when I saw you on the big screen. I was like, okay, oh, it's Dave. Yeah. <laughs> you came back up to Toronto for Warehouse 13. Warehouse 13. I shot Warehouse 13 and, Res and Resident Evil Apocalypse in Toronto. 
Um, yes. yeah. yeah, Warehouse 13, Jack Kenny, who is the showrunner of Titus, was a showrunner of Warehouse 13. And so he just brought me in to do a small job on that. Don't move. Cops are on their way. Uh, okay, look, Leo, I think you're kind of stepping in it here, bro. I mean, the thing is, we're, we're kind of in a hurry. Yeah, no kidding, pretty boy. I saw you on the APB. You're wanted for kidnapping, probably that guy, right? Look, Leo, you're making a huge mistake because we're Secret Service. <laughs> look, I'm just going to reach for my badge slowly, and I'm going to throw it over to you and just take a look at it. This looks real. That's because it is real, Leo. But the Secret Service protects the president. Yeah, the president's nowhere else around here. Not as stupid as you thought, huh? And then Resident Evil Apocalypse was shot in like 2003, 2004, and was up there for about three months shooting that. Oh, did you not do Breakout Kings here also? Yep, did Breakout Kings over there as well. It's going to jump off early in the morning so we get a full day of news coverage. You link our sites to the major network? Yeah, it'll be linked like sausages, my man. All our brothers will hear the news almost before it happens. Marshals came by. They were asking about you. Maybe you should just take a beat, huh? What? Why? After everything they took from us, Carl Hans wouldn't back down. Neither would Mom. What are you saying? For one second, you should do anything but send the message that needs to be sent. Bring them to the knees, Christian. You do it in a way where you come home to me. You're all a good man. I'm willing to die for the cause, Dad. I'm not afraid. They're the ones who should be afraid now. Right, 2016, Restoration. You directed this, and yep. you also starred in it. You were the neighbor. So you had a, a role. Did you, did you find it hard to direct and... And yeah. It. Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, it was a ultra low budget feature. We shot that movie for $75,000 and I wrote it with James Cullen Bresick. Uh, we produced it together. I directed it. Um, I was the third lead of the film and then I edited the film and uh, yeah, it's horrifically difficult. I would not suggest it to anybody, uh, especially at, at that low budget when you're doing you're wearing so many hats anyways um and then to be in front of the camera exhausting just just i never ever want to do that again i'd love to direct a movie that i could have a role in maybe if it was a high enough budget that i could have a really good support team and a lot of prep but if without that it is dude it's like it's like running it's like having a restaurant, being the chef, being the waiter, being the manager and the bartender and the dishwasher all at the same time. And yeah. it's just, I don't recommend it to anybody. Would you, what would you rather have done on that? Just direct? Just, just direct it, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're foodies, so any excuse to get in the kitchen is a good one for Harold. <laughs> hey, I earned that. Actually, Francine and I were just talking the other day about how we uh, need his new blood in the neighborhood, so we'd love to have you guys over for dinner. Yeah, as soon as the hospital gives her some time to breathe. We'd love that. 
That's right. Congratulations on the residency. It's a fantastic hospital. I feel pretty lucky about it. So how, how does that work? I mean, they just choose where you go and you pack up your life and move there for four years? Well, that just sounds wrong. After that, uh, I got to see you again in Always Sunny. Yeah, that was fun, right? Playing uh, playing Cricket's older brother. Actually, that is true, because I, I do have a date. Oh, well, don't make up a story. I mean, you know, we don't care what you're doing with the money. Hey, dipshit. We're not paying you to talk on the phone. Speaking of, I need some cash. When, when do we get paid? Paychecks come at the end of the month. Who are you talking to, huh? A drug dealer? Your skeezy little arrogant douchebag friends down at the bar? Those guys are my friends. Whatever. I am so on to you. But I bet you're going to be high by the end of the night. Ooh. Freaking bull crap. Yeah. Well, don't piss off your trick there, Cricket. He might cut you out. Yeah, just finish the guy off and then come do the job for us, all right? What's it going to be? We need a decision, Cricket. Yeah, were you a fan of that show before? Love that show. Those guys are insane. Yeah, they're brilliant. Longest running live action sitcom in American history. And then uh, Swedish Dicks. Yeah, that was fun. That seems like very funny. Show. Show. Yeah, it seems like such a cool show. <laughs> Hey! Oh. Where'd you learn to fight like that? The streets. Which streets were those? The streets of San Francisco. So what are you in for? Murder. Really? How long you got? Life. But uh, I don't intend to stay, if you know what I'm saying. What are you talking about? A jackrabbit parole. <laughs> That's prison slang word. Means to escape. I've never heard anyone ever say that. Well, maybe you don't know every slang word in the world, but I know a few. Would you pick that up? Oh, it's a very common prison slang word back in the big Sani Franny. Did you just say Sani Franny? No. I, yeah. You're a weird little dude. Yeah, I wish it got picked up for more, but uh, it was a pleasure to work with those guys. Uh, Peter Stormare, I've always been a big fan of his work. And uh, I love the sensibilities of the, the Swedish comedy mm -hmm. in the sense that it's very self-deprecating um, and awkward. And in that sense, it feels very Canadian slash English. You know, um, it was a lot of fun to work on. Really enjoyed that. And what can you tell me of uh, Steven Seagal and Beyond the Law? Uh, Steven Seagal and Beyond the Law, I think it's online now, so watch it and Twitter me any questions you have. I noticed in your uh, introduction, you're working with James Hong. Yeah, I've directed the feature that I wrote with my producing partner, Ace Underhill, and so we are in post right now. Um, it's a, it's like a, it's an 80s style family magical adventure comedy, like uh, the Goonies meets Big Trouble in Little China and lots of practical effects. And that's pretty exciting. Um, are you watching any Canadian TV shows currently? I, I love Letterkenny, but we don't get it over here. I got to watch clips of it on YouTube. Oh, I think it's on Hulu now. 
Is it? I don't have Hulu. Hold it. End of the laneway. Don't come out the property. Rematch. Okay. Knocked you out. Can't believe you got back up. You come here to throw fists or flap lips there, big shooter. You suckered him. Then he got back up and knocked you out. So rubber match, then. We already established that. Unless you want to do some more talking. Good amount of chin wagging going on over there. All right, I suckered you. So we shake hands, clear the air, and then we square off. Good enough. But, um, yeah, Letterkenny makes me laugh. Letterkenny is, yeah, one of my favorites. I got a chance to work on that, too. Those guys, nice. insanely collaborative, uh, very, it's a very happy crew. So if you know a lot of, about like uh, the Simpsons, you can hear them quoting the Simpsons to each other. That's the kind of environment I like to work in. Very cool. Yeah, they're great. And what's keeping you busy these days? Well, directing the feature, uh, writing another, and building a guest house. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to focus more on directing and writing? I prefer it, to be honest. Um, you know, with acting's fine. I enjoy acting when there's a good opportunity to do something. Um, but I'm a 50-year-old man and a white guy. Uh, so it, this is not necessarily the environment where 50-year-old white guys are um, really what everybody's looking for to hire. Uh, I understand that. I don't take it personally. Um, you know, but my job, my business has always been, you only eat what you kill. So either you're generating opportunity or you're waiting for someone to make a phone call to call you. And I think that's kind of stupid. So I can write and I direct and I produce and I edit. Um, so I might as well do those things to generate content and make what I want to make. Um, I don't mind acting in it, like I said, but directing is a full-time job. Man. Like when you're directing a movie, it, you've got a lot going on. There's a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of the work that I did in restoration uh, as an actor and as a director. Uh, I think it worked, especially for the budget. I'm very proud of that film. You know, it came out in 2016 and on iTunes, we were in the top 10 of iTunes horror uh, for all of 2016. And uh, we were number five and six going back and forth competing with Steven Spielberg's re-release of Jaws. Now, we were shot for $75,000, too. So, and the movie at number three was The Krampus, which was a $15 million production budget. So we were swinging, we were punching upwards, definitely. Um, did that go straight to VOD? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is VOD, especially in 2016, is different than it is now. And it gets, you know, look at where we are with giant movies going straight to VOD. And uh, they still kind of suck. Yeah. Um, and what a lot of people don't understand who are in the industry is putting movies in theaters can cost a lot more money than they can make. And then depending upon this type of film, like it, it's not free to put movies in theaters. So you have to, you have to gauge whether or not it's just an ego stroke or actually if it's beneficial marketing value to the film, or if it's both beneficial marketing and it'll do a good recruitment on, uh, on the distribution. 
So you have to balance that all out. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy doing restoration. People should take a look at it. Um, I'm proud of it. If they have any questions for me about filmmaking, uh, by all means, I'll answer whatever I can. And uh, I'm always trying to inspire younger filmmakers to do better than I have. Um, but when it comes to my career now, like I, I love acting, but if I'm acting in something, I'd rather just be focusing on the acting so yep. that I can really give it everything it needs. Um, and really delve into the character and, and create that level of suspension and disbelief as opposed to being distracted with multiple tasks and responsibilities. And as a director, I really love the process of directing as well and uh, working with my producing partner and, and coming up with new ways to shoot this scene, new ways to solve this problem, new ways to inspire this talent to get to that level of performance that makes the scene exciting makes the moment relevant and connects with the audience in a way that's uh unexpected yet um feels like it's the perfect fit so that's what i do yeah yeah it's better to make your own work than to sit there and wait for someone to give you a phone call yeah i mean if spielberg wants to call me and offer me a series i ain't turning it down but um I haven't gotten that call yet, so I'll keep on working. But he knows where to find you. So. Yeah. Great, man. Thanks so much for your time. Hey, my pleasure, brother. I wish you the best with the podcast. Thank you. Well, another podcast in the book. Huge thank you to Zach Ward for his time. And like he said, check out Restoration. Or, if you're lucky enough to find it, or unlucky enough to have seen it, watch Taking Care of Terrific. Also, please let him know what that you've heard him on A Plus over on his Twitter at Totally Zach Ward. Of course, we couldn't talk about all of his filmography with over 120 credits, so keep an eye peeled for Zach when you're binging on all your old quarantine shows. I'd also like to make everyone aware that all episodes of Titus are available to watch on Christopher Titus TV's YouTube channel. And if you follow Christopher Titus on Twitter, you know he's been hinting at releasing one more episode. As always, rate, review, and subscribe to A-Plus Podcasts, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and almost anywhere you find podcasts. Also, give our Instagram a follow at A-Plus Pod. Thanks to Oliver Eckstein for cleaning up the mix, and remember, this podcast is for everyone. Like the moon. Like the moon? <laughs> like the moon. <laughs> <laughs>